Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. My name is Pastor Ryan. Thank you for being here today. This morning, we're going to be studying the book of John, uh, John chapter 15. So as you're turning there, let me give you a little uh, preview. Uh, There's a lot of stuff in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, that's uplifting, great stuff. What we're going to read today is one of the more serious discussions that Jesus has with the disciples. He's preparing them for things that are going to be happening in the near future. They're going to go through some very difficult stuff. And so that's what we're going to be reading today. Uh, But there's still a lot to learn from that. So we're going to start at John chapter 15, verse 12. And this is how Jesus starts things out. He said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, first off, you're going to notice that Jesus, he gave them a very specific command. It's very clear. It's very concise. You'll notice this is not a parable. This is not a teaching. This is not a relatable story. This is a command. And it includes a stipulation. He says, love each other, and then what? As I have loved you. Now, I want to pause for a moment because there's a reason why Jesus adds that clause, that stipulation, right? It's not a mistake. He didn't just throw it in there as an afterthought. He intentionally added the words, as I have loved you, because he knows us humans, right? He knows if he just said love one another, that could be a little vague. Because the way some people love one another is not the same way other people do. For an example, Jesus told us when he saw it, when people gave their offering, he eventually said, when you give your offering, do not let your left hand, what? Know what your right hand is doing. Why, why would he need to say that? Well, because when people gave money to the church, their offering, they were doing it with trumpet blast, with loud banners, and look how awesome I am. Did you hear all that money falling in there? Woo, right? They were making it about them, their offering, right? And when Jesus told us to pray, how did he do it? He said, go up into your room, close the door. Pull the shade and then pray to your father. And why would he need to tell us how to pray like that? Because he saw people on the street corners, praying out in the open, loud, boisterous prayers, drawing attention to themselves, right? And it was also common in that day for Jews to put a prayer box on their arm, on their forehead, and then had these prayer shawls with tassels hanging off the side. Well, to kind of show off a little... These prayer boxes got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the, prayer t- the tassels on the, the shawls got longer and longer and longer because they represented the prayers. So you had people walking around with these huge trains. Well, look at me. Look at me. Right? That's what they did with offering. That's what they did with prayers. So when Jesus said, love one another, he's like, hold on, the way I love you. So we got that right. Right? We needed to know that. So in other words, do exactly what I do. Do what I did. Don't add to it. Don't take away. Simply follow in my footsteps. Now the other side of the coin, when we think about that, about showing love, Jesus is the yardstick that we're going to be measured against. That's why he's so specific. And what this means is when we claim to be Christ followers, when we go out into the world and others see us, how we show Christian love, That can either draw them closer to Christ or that can push them away, depending on how we do that. Here's a very unfortunate but poor example. 
uh, I was on the internet the other day and something came across, an advertisement came up and it actually says, um, there's no hate like Christian love. And it's a t-shirt you can buy. Yeah. But let that sink in for a minute. For a minute. Someone has experienced Christian love or a version of it. And what did it do? It was so repulsive, it pushed them away from Jesus Christ. Love. So that's why Jesus says, when you love one another, do it the way I do it. It's unbiased. It's complete. And I genuinely love you and care about you. Right? That's why he's so specific. Right? Because sometimes when we do it, we're biased. We have divisions. All kinds of problems can come up. Now, the next thing he says is in verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, to, do, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, what he's doing here is he's telling us we should be placing our own lives, our own safety, our own comfort above everything else. To be his followers means everything is second, right? And in some cases, and we know this is true because of how most of the disciples died, it means we may at some point be persecuted for our beliefs, we may have to give up our own life, but he wants us to remain strong. And this is why this matters. For example, can you imagine what the church would look like today if when the disciples got persecuted, they just turned and ran? Would we even be here? Think of it. Like remember when, G- when uh, Peter got confronted, he denied Jesus how many times? Yeah. What if he kept on denying Jesus? and moved somewhere safe, would we be here? Probably not, right? There would be no church. So it's possible what Jesus is saying, that could happen to his followers in the future as well. And he wants to make sure that we understand we need to remain strong, right? Now in verses 14 and 15, which is where we're going next, is where things start to get interesting. Let's read about that and talk about it. Verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I know from my father, everything that I've learned, I've made known to you. So you'll notice the disciples now that they're reaching the point where Jesus is no longer calling them servants, they're friends, which means they're on the same level. So up to that point, you know, when he first met them, they were down here, and he was been slowly training them up day by day so they would get to his point, right, to where they can carry on the torch without him, right? And the difference, the, what's made this difference is that they now have knowledge of why Jesus is here. Right? They have knowledge of the Father's business. They understand the purpose, right? And this is really important because, let's be honest, you can teach somebody a task, like for my kids, I can teach them how to change their oil. But do they necessarily understand why and what happens if they don't? No, you can still do it and have no idea what's going on, right? It's possible. What Jesus wants is for his followers to understand the why. The before, the after, everything around it. And that's what's changing them from servants up to friends, where they're equal, right? That's the why. That's why it's so important. And, you know, think of it like an internship. Anyone ever here been in an internship or know someone who has? It's the same thing. You're essentially a student. You have a mentor, someone who's a supervisor who's over you, and over time you take on more and more responsibilities. But as long as you're in that internship, 
Who's the one with the real responsibility and has all the knowledge? The mentor, the one above you. But at some point, you're going to reach that point where you're no longer in the internship. You are equal. You have full knowledge. And that's what Jesus is wanting to do. He wants them to get to to that point. So on the one hand, now they're getting there, and that's great. They have the knowledge. But now that means he's going to send them out into the world. And he is no longer going to be with them. They're going to start experiencing persecution the way he did. And that's going to be scary. And that's what he's laying the groundwork for. So the next thing Jesus says in verses 16 and 17 show us that, uh, that none of what has happened so far has been by chance. It was planned, right? Let's read that now, verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. There he says it again. So first off, he says, listen, you didn't choose me. I chose you. So even if the disciples felt like, you know, that first time they met Jesus along the shore, it's like, oh, hey, this was just kind of accident. This was nice. It wasn't an accident. You just weren't some guy that happened to walk by. I chose you. I knew you. I have a plan for you. Nothing about what's happening is by accident. Another way, to, like a, another think of, it, think of it is, it's not like the disciples had a really good idea to do Judaism better. And they just happened to find Jesus and thought, hey, this guy, he's going to do it, right? That's not how it was. There was always a greater plan. Jesus chose them and brought them in. And the purpose was that they would be raised up and then they would then go further and bear fruit, right? And in that, in the, in that teaching, it says, fruit that will last. It's kind of like when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. You can produce fruit just like you can love one another, but that's not necessarily good enough for God. That's not necessarily the way God does it. God isn't interested in the way we love, the way humans tend to. He's not interested in good works the way we sometimes do. Which, if we're honest, it can be a little showy, be biased, you know, trying to draw attention to ourselves. He wants us to produce fruit that is going to last, right? And here's a really great time to share this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because it describes the why the fruit needs to last. So 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 13. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Ooh. You can kind of feel what that's saying, right? The point of this verse is that Jesus is the foundation. He's the solid foundation. Everything we do as his followers needs to be built on top of him. And here's the important part. Everything needs to be done so it will last, right? For example, if we start adding our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own versions, at some point, all of it's going to crumble. But if we do exactly what Jesus did, if we love the way he loved, if we forgave the way he forgave, we share the same message that he taught, then we're building something that will remain strong, something that is built on Jesus Christ, and it will survive when it's going to be tested, and it will. So now that Jesus told the disciples that he chose them, not the other, other way around, they have to produce fruit that's going to last, he's now going to take the conversation directly at them. 
personally, one-on-one. He's going to get real with them about how the world is going to react when they do that. This is what he says. It starts in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That, that's why the world hates you. So Jesus is not beating around the bush. He's not sugarcoating it. This is not some rosy discussion. He says, remember, if the world hates you, it hated me first. Which means you're not going to be experiencing anything new. This happened to me. More specifically, he's saying, you saw how the world reacted, but within that, you also saw the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the high priests attack me, trying to tear me down. And yet, each time you saw me do what? I stayed right on point. I stayed focused. I showed love and forgiveness. Right? I wanted to bring people back to God. And he says, the more, the more that you stand apart from the world, the more, again, this isn't a pep talk, but this is, this is back to God, the more they're going to hate you. So again, this isn't a pep talk, but this is, this is a description of the realities to come and the expectation that they need to remain strong just like Jesus did. But there's more to come. We're going to see that because this is going to get really heavy in a second. And this is what he says in verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You kind of really feel what he's laying down. This is some heavy stuff. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So in, the, in this particular statement, it's interesting. Because there's actually a warning, but there's also hope. First off, he reminds them, when they came after me, when they made my life difficult, that's exactly what they're going to do to you. However, I want you to catch this. This is important. He said, if they obey my teaching, they're also going to obey yours also. So, yes, you are going to be persecuted. Yes, it's going to happen. But in those tough times, there are going to be people who hear you, and they will get the message. So here's a great way to describe it. I don't know how many people are here. Let's say about 140-ish, right? Let's say the people in the front row, these are the only people. Everyone else hates me. Everybody, you're like, oh, that guy. Oh, I can't stand him. Get him. But I stay strong. And you guys are hurling insults at me, whatever. but I stay strong. I keep preaching about Jesus Christ just the way he did, the way he taught. But it keeps on, keeps on. But in that time, these people here, these six, seven people, they come to believe in Jesus Christ. So Jesus' point is, stay strong. Because there will still be people in the crowd, and it may be a very small number that will come to believe. But those people are worth it. It's worth, worth it to endure the persecution. That's what he means. Don't ever give up. Every single person is worth that message. Now, verse 21, Jesus also gives us some insight into why, why the people are going to be persecuting them, why they're going to be against the disciples. He said, they're going to treat you this way because of my name. Because they don't know the one who sent me. Right? They, they're going to do this because they don't know God. And again, this is important to understand because he's not just talking about average, everyday people with no religious training. He's talking also about the religious class. Remember, these are Jews in Jerusalem. right? 
He's talking about the priests, the Pharisees, the ones with all the diplomas on their wall in their office, right? The ones with all the letters behind their name, clearly went to school a very long time. These are the people that will come after you also. These are the people that are going to do this. These are going to be the ones that the general public goes, well, look at all the diplomas. He knows what he's talking about, right? It's not going to make things easier for you. It's going to make things harder. These are the leaders in the community. These are the people others look up to. But again, Jesus is making the point. I'm telling you this so that you will know when it happens. They've done it to me. They're going to do it to you as well. Stay strong. That's why I'm telling you, so it won't be a surprise. All right? And here's why I love Jesus so much. Is he's not just throwing the hard stuff at them and expecting them to like blindly find their motivation and stay strong. In the next few verses, he's going to share the why, like why the world is against them. And in doing so, he's binding them to the greater cause, right? The genius of this is that people, his disciples in particular, are going to be able to withstand so much more if they understand the why, the part they play, right? So this is what he says that starts to frame this. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. And as it is, they have seen, and yet they hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. You know, so there's a lot to un- unpack here, so let's do it bit by bit. First and foremost, in verse 22, he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, if I hadn't done that, they would not be guilty of their sin. But what? Now they're guilty. Now they have no excuse. So the main point that he wants them to understand is this is about sin. He came, he showed the world its sin. And what's the world doing? It's revolting against that. The world does not want to know about its sin. The world's going to fight that idea. But since he has done that work, the world now knows. There's no more excuse. They can no longer hide the fact, even though they're going to try to. They're going to try to downplay the sins. They can't do that. They're going to try to create loopholes. You can't do that. They're going to try to plead ignorance. They can't do that. Jesus showed them. Sin is sin in all its forms. Now, on the exact opposite side of that coin, there's something that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, and it really, really highlights exceptionally well how the world should react to this, right? And let's read that now. What Paul says is just, it's profound. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is what he says. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He starts off, Christ Jesus came in the world to do what? Save sinners. That's it. Then what does he say? Of whom I am the worst. So Paul's preaching the same message of Jesus. He came to save from sin, period. That's number one. That's the foundation, right? But then what does he admit loudly? I'm the worst one. I'm the worst. He's not saying, listen, I'm a decent guy. There's just a couple things in college, you know, right? Or, I didn't know. I mean, I kind of knew, but still, come on. That's my mulligan. Is he saying the exact opposite? I did all of that. I am the worst one. I own it. 
He's the perfect example in this case, Paul, of what Jesus is trying to get the world to see, that we all have sin. We all need to own up to it, admit it, and then we can be saved. Then we can be forgiven. Now, this is really, really important to understand because this, this piece right here is what made Paul so effective at preaching the gospel. He's one of the best evangelists the world has ever known. If you have your Bible with you, the New Testament, that dude right there wrote the majority of the New Testament. Okay, And what made him so successful was he was so frank, he was so open, so brutal about his own sin. He was honest. He didn't hide it. Because once he did that, then he was able to better make the case, but Jesus saved me. That's why I believe. Jesus brings forgiveness of sins. And until we admit our sin, we can't be saved. Right? That's the message that we should learn from Paul. Now to get back to, let's go back to John 15 and verse 25. It says this, but to fulfill the law, I'm sorry, but to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. Now in that, Jesus is probably referencing Psalm 109, and of course he's talking about being unjustly persecuted. And a point that he's making again is the world, the world does not want to be shown its own sin. The world does the exact opposite of Paul. But he says when he does this, the world acts out against him. And it's really sad because Jesus has nothing to do with their sin. He's there to save them from their sin. He's bringing the free gift of forgiveness and salvation. But, you know, it's truly scary and it's an unfortunate weapon that Satan uses, but it's very, very effective. And then it's our fear of being exposed. Our desire to want to hide things, right? Our sin being seen in the sunlight is not what we want. Humans will go to crazy, crazy long lengths to hide things, have one lie, now I've got to create another lie to cover that one, then two more, then I'm going to bring you in because it'll be more believable if you're helping me, and then if I go down, you're paying for it. Right? Now, it kind of seems funny, but that is true. We do that. We don't want to be found out, and there's lots of things we will do to try to cover that up. But Jesus all along is saying, there's a better way. Admit your sin. You can be totally forgiven for anything. All things. That was always his goal. We humans just fight him on that all the time. So now as we've seen, Jesus, he's been laying some pretty heavy stuff on him, on the disciples. He's going to switch gears for a bit and and start to give them some solid help. And this is the kind of help that's going to remain with them even after he's gone. Let's read that. It's verses 26 and 27. He says, When the Advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for, I have, for you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus, he's talking actually about the Holy Spirit. That's what he's referring to. And he tells us all we need to know. It's kind of like almost like a one-sentence job description. The Holy Spirit will be sent to the disciples and to the church as an advocate, as a comforter, and to testify about Jesus Christ, to remind the world, to remind the disciples that Jesus is who he says he is. Again, he's going to come alongside, give direction, courage, and that's his role. The disciples are not going to be left alone. They're not going to be left to fend for themselves. The way I like to put it, the Spirit of God is going to be with him, with every one of them, to guide them. Now, you probably also caught this, but look what Jesus said in verse 27. He said, and you, you must also testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. 
Now, again, the disciples have a very specific predetermined role. They were chosen for, they were trained, they were raised up, and now they're being expected to carry on this message of Jesus Christ. And that word testify, that's a specific word. It means the same thing today as it did back then. And when do we use, when do we testify today? Court. Anybody just love going to court? Right? It's a deadly serious thing. You swear an oath to do what? Tell the truth. 100% the truth. And if not, there's consequences. So the disciples, everything they've heard about persecution, Jesus saying, yeah, and you need to go out and testify about me to the world. Not kind of suggest. It's going to, you know, hey, you know, think about it. Jesus is a good guy. Just think about it. Testify, which means put yourself out there publicly knowing there's a risk. You've already been told the world is going to turn against Jesus for preaching that message, and now he's sending them out to do the same thing. But the Holy Spirit is going to be with them the whole time, testifying to them about the truth of Je- about Jesus Christ. So here's his point. This is, a, this, is a, this is a really great thing Jesus does. Number one, he's admitting to them out loud publicly that what he's asking them, what he's sending them out to do is going to be harder than anything they've done before. All right, that's number one. It's not going to be easy. I mean, think about today. What would happen to us if we went out and shared about Jesus Christ and someone didn't want to hear it? What are they going to say? No, thanks. And that's it, right? They may walk away. That's not a big deal, right? But for the disciples, it couldn't be more different. For instance, Jesus knows very shortly, very shortly, the disciples are going to see him get arrested. They're going to see him beaten, tortured, and then what? Nailed to a tree, to a wooden cross where he's going to slowly bleed to death and asphyxiate. And then he wants them to muster up the courage to go out and do what he was doing. So this is huge, right? This is enormous. Anyone who says that that wouldn't be terrifying or scary either doesn't understand the gravity or just doesn't understand And yet that's the message they're going to carry, though, of Jesus Christ. And they're going to need help. So that's why Jesus knows they can't do this alone. They're going to never make it on their own. So what does he do? He's going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to come alongside them, to advocate for them, to be their comforter, and to testify, to remind them all the time, daily, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And everything that's happening is happening for a purpose. Now, as we begin to finish, we're going to head into chapter 16, and then we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 16. And I want to point out, as we go from chapter 15 to 16, you'll notice there's really a no break in the conversation. It's just, that's where the chapter has to end. Um, it's the same discussion. And if you're kind of interested in a little bit of Bible history, I know I am, chapters and verses were not always in the Bible. Did you know that? When they had the, the Bible, it wasn't like John was like, hey, and now the part that I wrote, go to verse 6. It wasn't like that. The chapters weren't added until the uh, 1200s, just the chapters. Verses were added in the, in the 1500s. So it wasn't until the 1500s we had all chapters in Bible, and verses in the Bible. So it's still a, it's a very, fairly new intervention. Let's jump to chapter 16, look at verses 1 to 4. Let's see how Jesus continues. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who, what's he say? 
Anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And I have told you this so that when their time comes you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. So as I said when we started out, Jesus has been laying some very heavy stuff on him on them. But I think we can admit this last bit is the hardest. He says, I've told you this. I'm telling you this now so that you will not fall away. Which means, have I, did I, if, had I not tell, told you this, there's a real risk for you to fall away. He, so Jesus understands the risk. He does. But he's making a solid point because he never, he never wants the disciples to get in their mind that it's getting out of control. That, we, that Jesus never anticipated this. Jesus never saw this. It never happened to him. It's us. We're unique. Ah. He's saying, no, this happened to me. This is going to happen to you. And I'm telling you, so when it happens, you'll remember. You'll know. Right? Because think about it. If the disciples, even for a split second, get it in their heads that it's out of control and Jesus did know about this, they're going to abandon ship. He did. Maybe he's not the Messiah, right? So if it ever seems like Jesus is kind of beating a dead horse, in this case, he is, right? And it's, to be fair, to understand their mindset, it's a little, it's harder to do here in this church where we're sitting, you know, we're in a nice air-conditioned church. We live in a town where people come to vacation, right? We got it pretty sweet. But for example, let's forget all that. Let's say each one of us, we're going to sell everything we have, and we're all going to move to Afghanistan, and we're going to start a Christian church right outside of Kabul. I know. Go with me for a second. Now, really consider that. We sell everything. Say goodbye to our family and friends, and we go there, and we genuinely really try to start a church. But it doesn't take long until the Taliban finds out we're there, and they come looking for us. What if, at that time, thoughts start to creep into our mind that maybe we didn't hear God right. Maybe this is not what we expected. Maybe this is not what God expected. Maybe Jesus didn't think about that part. What would that do to our chances of success? We wouldn't. It, it, it's unquestionable what we would do. We would turn and run to save our own lives, right? That's natural. But what if Jesus said, I know what's going to happen when you go over there. I know. This is what's going to happen. But I want you to understand that they also did it to me first. You are not going to be alone. I'm telling you now so when it happens you'll know. But you're not going to be alone because I'm also going to send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to be with you day in and day out as you go through this. He'll be reminding you why you're there, that I'm the Messiah, and help you every step of the way. Now, does that not change things? Right? So you go from, how are we going to survive, to now you think, wow, this has actually got a real chance. God is with us, right? Especially if the Holy Spirit's with us. So that's why Jesus says, I'm telling you this over and over so it's not a surprise. And then, of course, he gets uncomfortably specific. And he continues. He says, listen, they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. They're going to kick you out with big steel-toed boots. 
They're going to do it publicly, so get ready. But that's not the worst of it. Now, if you're the disciples, you're like, come on, geez, a lot for today. He says, in time, they will kill you. And the people who kill you will think that they're doing God's work. Now, just imagine what that room would have felt like. I mean, just suck all the air right out of it. The time is coming when the people who are killing you, they're going to be doing it thinking they're God's work, doing God's work, doing a service to God. Now, the Greek word there is actually lateria, and lateria is used to describe work that's done at the altar in the synagogue. So when they're killing you, they're thinking they're doing God's work at the altar. I mean, it's one thing that's bad, but that almost seems like it makes it even worse. But that's what he's telling them. And the final thing Jesus says in verse 4, I've told you this, so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. And I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I'm with you. Right? So he's saying, this is not going to be a surprise to you. You'll know this. So having heard all this, we can only, let's be honest, we can only imagine what it had been like the disciples just to sit there and take all this in and try to process it. But here's where I want to make a point. Jesus understood the risks the disciples faced. He faced those same risks and he endured them. But why? Why would he do that? Why would he put the disciples through that? He had a purpose on earth to save lost people. The very lost people that were going to persecute them. But yet those, and this is, this is like the most, this is the best description of what love is. Jesus loved the world so much that even the people that were going to hurt him, he was willing to give up his own life to save them. So that they would have a chance. Even if it was just a small few in the crowd. And he was training up his disciples and his future church to do the exact same thing. Yes, they're going to come after you. Yes. But that's what love is. That's, I want to give the world a chance. And we have to stay strong. Showing the world its sin and its need to change is going to be difficult. But the people are worth it. That's why Jesus wanted them to endure. And that's, that's why Jesus is the source of our hope. He's the source of our joy, right? He's the source of our salvation. And it's, it's also the reason why in this church, when we study the Bible, we study every verse, even the difficult ones. So that we will know and so that we, we will be prepared because believe it or not, we are the next generation, right? The disciples started this, they stayed strong, and we're just the next piece. There are people that will come after us. And we need to stay strong and stay on the same message. Love the way God loves. So as we finish for today, remember, following Jesus, being his disciples, is not always blessings and easy sailing. Following Jesus means following in his footsteps, staying strong, giving every person a chance to hear the good news. That's what this is about. So today, if anyone here has not accepted Jesus into your life, then we want to give you that opportunity. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've gone through, Jesus is there and he can save you. All you have to do is invite him into your heart. So in a minute, we're going to say a prayer. And part of that prayer, if you would like to invite Jesus in, just repeat the words that I say. You can do it quietly, right to yourself. What you say is between you and God. Let's pray together. 
Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and to guide my steps for the rest of my life. And Father, at the same time, I ask for strength to endure whatever this world throws at me. I know that I can put my trust in you and you will never fail. It is because of you and your son that I have hope, that I have forgiveness, and that I have salvation. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.